Parshas Kisisa, Volume 21, Sicha 2, Chelech Chafalaf, Sicha Beis. The Rebbe begins the Sicha saying that we have often discussed Rashi's specificity when explaining Torah, and in line with this, that Rashi does not generally repeat an explanation twice. If an explanation seems necessary, but has already been given, Rashi will say, as he does in the portion of Vayakil in chapter 35 in Perak Lamed He, on his explanation on verse 5 on Pasuk Vav, I already explained the offering for the Mishkan and its work in the place of their command. Unless there's reason to repeat it, because in the latter explanation, Rashi adds an additional detail, or when there's a big gap between the two explanations and his first explanation is found in an earlier book of Torah, then Rashi will repeat the explanation, albeit briefly, even if he's adding nothing to the explanation. And the reason Rashi does so is because Rashi's focus is the five-year-old Torah scholar who may have forgotten what he learned earlier the first time he read Rashi's explanation and commentary. Certainly there would be no need for Rashi to repeat an explanation that has no additional information in a single Torah portion, where it isn't assumed that one would have forgotten Rashi's explanation of a few verses earlier. In which case, we really need to understand why in our Torah portion of Kisisa, Rashi does repeat an explanation twice, seemingly the same exact explanation. In chapter 33, Paraklamid Gimel, in verse 2, Pasuk Beis, the Torah tells us that God said, I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Prezites, the Chivites, and the Jebusites. Rashi quotes the words, and I will drive out the Canaanites, etc., and explains, there are six nations listed here, although seven were originally mentioned in Genesis, and seven inhabited the land, and this is because, Rashi's words, the Gergashi got up and emigrated before the nation of Israel came, of their own accord. And then, in the following chapter, in Paraklamidala, chapter 34, Posukirala, verse 11, which reads, Shmarlacha esasheranechi mitzavcha hayoim, keep carefully, guard what I'm commanding you today, hinini goyresh mi panecha eshoemoiri, vahaknani, vahachiti, vahaprizi, vahachivi, vahayivusi. I will drive out from before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Prezites, the Chivites, and the Jebusites. Rashi repeats his explanation and says, six nations are enumerated here. Six nations are here because the Girgashites got up and emigrated before the Israelites. Why does Rashi repeat an explanation here that seems to be exactly like the earlier one, 
just a portion or just a, a chapter earlier, and not to have any additions to his explanations that he previously taught. There are commentaries like the Maskelu David, David Samuel Ben Yaakov Pardo, author of many Torah works, and among them a commentary on Rashi, who suggests that Rashi repeats this explanation because, in fact, this second verse tells us that God himself will drive out the nations and not through an angel, as the verse in chapter 33 tells us. Thus suggests the Maskele David, Rashi explains the verse as he did the previous one, because though it is God himself who will drive out the nations, the six nations will still be driven out by war, and only the Girgashi, just as in the previous explanation, will be driven out with their leaving on their own, or will be driven out with leaving. The problem with this explanation, however, is that one, this new information that God will drive out the nations, that they will not go on their own, is not what Rashi talks about at all. Rashi only tells us why the verse omits mentioning the Girgashi nation. And we would understand this on our own because we have this earlier verse that tells us that the nations will be driven out, which will be by war, and Girgashi isn't mentioned there either. And two, had there been mention in the verse that the nation of Israel will fight and will be victorious because God goes with us, we would have understood the explanation that's being suggested, that though God will go in our midst, as Moshe asked of God when asking for forgiveness for the nation, we will nevertheless need to go to war against the six nations, and only the Girgashi would leave on their own. But in the words of the verse, I will drive out from before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Prezites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. These words do not hint to war at all. Not only do the words not hint to war, the verse makes it sound much better than war and the need to fight for and conquer the land. It sounds like God will do that for us. The explanation the Maskele David gives seems to negate the words in the verse that speak of God driving the nations out from before us. As here too, Rashi tells us that only the Girgashi will leave on their own without war. The question regarding Rashi's repetition of an explanation is greater yet when we consider that if Rashi is of the opinion that there is a need to explain the literal intention of the verse, why the verse lists only six and not the known seven nations, Rashi should have explained this the very first time the Torah enumerates only six nations. The six and not seven nations are listed several times on earlier occasions in the Torah, twice in the Torah portion of Shmais, once in the Torah portion of Mishpatim, Rashi does not explain anything on those occasions. Okay, we could say, in regards to the portion of Mishpatim, that Rashi does not explain this there, because the verse begins by telling us, Hine anoichi 
Behold, I am sending an angel before you, which Rashi explains as, here in this verse, they were informed that they were destined to sin and that the Shekhinah would say to them, for I will not ascend in your midst, not God, but an angel, which actually occurs in our Torah portion, in Kisisa, when God says, I will send an angel before you because I will not go up among you after the sin of the golden calf. Since Rashi indicates in his explanation that there would be an explanation later on, that it would become clear later on, as it does indeed in our current portion, Rashi depends on the fact that this detail too, the Torah enumerating only six nations, would be explained later on in our portion. But what does... Excuse me, but why doesn't Rashi explain this earlier in Shmais, where the verse mentions six nations and omits the Girgashi? Why doesn't Rashi explain this there? We want to understand as well the significance of the changes in the terminology that Rashi uses in explaining the two verses in this week's Torah portion. In verse 2 in chapter 33, Rashi says, Shisha Umaisheim, there are six nations, while in the latter verse in chapter 34, verse 11, Rashi says, six nations are listed here. Why the emphasis on here? Also in his explanation on verse 2, Rashi says, and the Girgashi, there are only six nations and the Girgashi left on their own. Well, in the explanation on verse 11, Rashi says, because the Girgashi left. A third change is in that in his first explanation, Rashi says, they left from before the nation of Israel on their own. But in the explanation on the verse in chapter 34, Rashi omits these words on their own. He says only that they left. And a final question would be, on the words from the verses quoted, to which Rashi offers this same explanation. Rashi quotes the words, and I will drive away the Canaanites, from verse 2. But Rashi quotes only the nations from verse 11, omitting the words, and I will drive away. Let's observe the differences between the verses in our portion and the verses in the portions of Shmais and Embui. All enumerate the six nations, but it's obvious that in the portion of Shmais, the Torah isn't actually focusing on the seven nations. Rather, the focus is the land. God promised that he will take the nation out of Egypt and bring them to a bountiful and good land, to a land that flows with milk and with honey, to the place, the land of the Kanani, the Chiti, the Amori, the Prizi, the Chivi, and the Yavusi. The second verse reads, And he said, I will raise you up from the poverty of Egypt to the land of the Canaanite, etc., to the land flowing with milk and with honey. So there's no question when looking at the literal text regarding why not all seven nations are listed, as the verse is focusing on the good land, the land of the Canaanite. And the Girgashi were not living on land considered to be part of the land of Israel. The land of the Canaanites is that of the six nations. But in the portion of Kisisa, 
In our Torah portion, the verse is not referencing the land, rather driving these nations out and their subsequent, subsequent destruction, as the verse specifically tells us, I will send before you an angel and I will drive out the Canaanites, etc. Hence, Rashi must explain why the removal of Girgashi, who do live there, is not mentioned, and he explains that they will have left of their own accord. But regarding this too, there's a marked difference between the first chapter, the first verse in chapter 33, and the second verse in chapter 34. And the difference is highlighted in the words Rashi quotes from the verse. In his explanation on the verse in chapter 33, Rashi quotes the words, and I will chase out the nations from the land. The verse describes how God will give those nations over to us, into our hands, driving them out. In which case, there's an immediate question and need for explanation because the verse only mentions the six nations. So how did we remove the seventh nation, the Girgashi? And thus Rashi explains, they were six nations listed because when God said, I will drive them out, it refers only to the six as the seventh left on their own. But the second verse, the one in chapter 34, is different because the idea of chasing out the nation follows only after what is really the essence of the verse, which are the words, Guard carefully what I am commanding you today. What must they guard carefully? It isn't that God is going to drive the nations out, which we've already been told. But what will follow, as is listed in the subsequent verses? The nation is warned not to make a covenant with these nations, so as not to become ensnared by them, to demolish their altars, to smash their monuments, to cut down their quote-unquote sacred trees, not to marry the daughters of these nations. The verse is thus not talking about how God will drive the nations out. The focus of this verse tells us how to be in the land. So the premise of Rashi's question on this verse is different to the earlier verse. While the premise of the question Rashi poses in the earlier verse is, so how were the Girgashi removed? Because they aren't mentioned, so we don't know. To which Rashi answers, they left on their own accord. Here Rashi questions what he notices in the verse, which is why doesn't the verse mention the Girgashi nation, whereas this verse warns us to be holy in the land and not to mix with the other nations. And this should be a warning relevant to the Girgashi nation too. Now you might say, well, we just explained in the earlier verse that Girgashi won't be there anymore because they left and therefore they're not mentioned in this verse where God says, be careful, be guarded, and I'll drive them out. But we can't use that explanation because we have a more pressing question when it comes to these words, I'll drive them out in the verse to begin with, which we said isn't the premise of the verse. Rather, the premise of the verse is about the behavior of the nation in the land, which is relevant to all the nations that live there, including the Girgashi. Why then does God even use the words, I will drive them out, when the premise is inclusive of the Girgashi, but the words I will drive them out are not? As they were not driven out by God, rather, Rashi told us they left on their own. 
More significant yet, and this is the essential reason that we can't use the reasoning suggested, is that in the earlier verse in chapter 33, explaining that the Girgashi left on their own helps us understand the intentions of that verse. That verse introduces the idea that the nations will be driven out, which indicates war. And since they, the Girgashi, were not driven out literally, but left on their own, they are naturally omitted from that verse. But these words, in chapter 34, in the second instance, I will drive them out from before you, are really mentioned only as an introduction to the intention of the verse, which, as we said, is about how the nation of Israel must behave in the land, and so these with these nations. And so these words, I will drive the nations out from before you with the knowledge that we already have, that the Girgashi will leave on their own, should include the Girgashi, because there are many possibilities for what these words, I will drive them out, mean. One possibility is God placing great fear in the hearts of a people, and they flee on their own. Therefore, Rashi says that the reason only six nations are enumerated here, omitting the Girgashi, is because they are six nations here. When the nation of Israel entered the land, these six were the only ones living there, which tells us that the instructions that follow not to become involved with the nations, etc., are relevant to the six nations because seemingly only relevant, as Rashi says specifically, key because the Girgashi stood up and left from before them. The because answers the question that arises in this verse. Why should these instructions be relevant only to the six nations? Which helps us understand why in the explanation of this latter verse, Rashi doesn't tell us they left on their own. Whether they left on their own is not relevant. What's relevant and what tells us whether or not this warning, guard yourselves, is indeed relevant and reflective of the Girgashi, is that they left. The verse is about how to live in the land, how to guard ourselves. That is what is relevant. Not whether or not the Girgashi were still there, or even about this, if these instructions are relevant to them. And therefore, it is not relevant that they left altogether. Rashi's explanation is that these directives are introduced in this verse and thus mention only the six nations because these are the nations that were there when we entered Israel. But all of this teaches us a halachic principle. Because the Girgashi stood up and left from before them and were not living in the land when we entered, there's room here to question whether or not the Girgashi were included in the warnings that Torah gives us around how to deal, how to guard ourselves from the Gentiles when we enter the land, who may be gone when we enter. But what about when the descendants of the Girgashi returned to the land of Israel? Was this warning for when they entered the land only and the Girgashi were not there at the time and so not included in the warnings? In other words, the warnings about how to live with the nations do not apply to the Girgashi or 
as the Girgashi were still in the land when God gave this instruction, all these warnings do apply, most notably if the descendants of the Girgashi return to the land. When we read the Rashi and see that Rashi says, six nations are listed here because the Girgashi stood up and left from before them, sounds like these warnings were stated in regards to only the six nations because practically only these six were there because as Rashi continues and says, the Girgashi got up and left. But these warnings are in effect also about the Girgashi because the Girgashi were there living in the land when God spoke these instructions and warnings. Thus they are considered to have been dwelling on the land when these instructions were given, and so these warnings continue and don't become null even afterwards when they're no longer there. Accordingly, we understand why in the book of Mishnah Torah, the book of Dvarim, in the portion of Eschanan, the Torah instructs us, Unisanam Hashem Aleikecha Lefanecha Vihikisam, Hachareim Tacharim Aisam, Loisichreis Lehem Bris, Loisachanim, the Lord your God will deliver them to you. You will smite them, utterly destroy them. Neither shall you make a covenant with them, nor be gracious to them. Which the Torah has just told us one verse earlier in Devarim incorporates all seven nations. Hachiti, v'hagirgoshi, v'hamoyri, v'haknani, v'haprizi, v'achivi, v'hayavusi. Shiva goyim rabim atsumim mimach, or mimcha, the Chittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Prezites, the Chivites, and the Jebusites. The Torah says seven nations more numerous and powerful than you. There's no reason, therefore, to debate whether these directives were only for the Girgashi before they left the land or for those who remain spread around Israel, mixed among the other six nations, etc. Chassidus takes us into yet a deeper realm of understanding Rashi. Let's start with Rashi's use of two different expressions to tell us that the Girgashi left. In chapter 33, they left before us on their own, and in chapter 34, the Girgashi left. Seemingly, these two may be referencing two different times when the Girgashi left. According to the first explanation of Rashi, where Rashi teaches, there are six nations listed and the Girgashi got up and left from before them. The emphasis is on the six nations who God drove out, which occurred through war, and as well, God drove out the Girgashi and this manifested in their leaving on their own accord. Then the Rashi in chapter 34 tells us six nations are listed because the Girgashi had already left, emphasizing that there were only six nations that God drove out through war because the seventh, because the seventh, the Girgashi had left, and they're not included in the nations that God drove out at that time. And indeed, this is how the events played out. Even before the nation of Israel entered the land of Israel and battled the six nations of Canaan, the Girgashi cleared out. These two opinions are not actually at odds with each other. Most of the Girgashi did indeed leave, even before the nation of Israel entered the land, 
and a small number remained, mixed among the other six nations, leaving as well when the battles with the six nations started. That's just an aside. But what's the spiritual significance of this discussion that the conquering of the seven nations is? How is this taught in Chassidus? It's the divine work that a person has in this world to conquer and to refine his six emotive attributes when they're out of balance and misaligned with the divine will. The seven negative characteristics stand in opposition to the seven emotive attributes and their alignment with God's will in a life of holiness. The Canaanites, the Kanani, represent the characteristic of chesed, kindness, in klipa, kindness misaligned with God's will. The chiti, the chitites, givura, severity in klipa, severity misaligned with holiness and God's will. The seventh nation, etc. The seventh nation, the girgashi, represents the characteristic and attribute of malchus, sovereignty misaligned with God's will. Malchus in klipa. This attribute speaks to the thought, speech, and action of man. And when the six emotive characteristics are refined, the characteristic of sovereignty of malchus becomes refined as well. Because malchus is a feminine characteristic, which means it's a receptacle only for the attributes that precede it. When the negative energy of the six negative characteristics or misaligned characteristics through our work becomes nullified, the characteristic of sovereignty of Malchus and Klipa in its state of a misalignment too becomes nullified. What is Malchus of Klipa? It's our engagement in thought, speech, and action in things that negate and conceal godliness. When the six emotive attributes are realigned or repaired, when we do our work and fix the negativity in these emotive characteristics, like when we refine the attribute of chesed, benevolence, to no longer pursue unhealthy love, forbidden relationships, or unbalanced love, and we refine our emotive attribute of restraint, of givura, so that restraint doesn't slip off the edge and become anger, and the same for all the other emotive attributes, then of course we have nullified the possibility of our thoughts, speech, or action being a conduit for negative and unbalanced characteristics. The characteristics no longer lean towards the unholy and are refined, and their conduits of thought, speech, and action are, as a result, vehicles of refinement as well. But in fact, Chassidus teaches that the refining of our thought, speech, and action can actually take place even before we've done the hard work of refining our negative characteristics. One can conquer his yetzer, his desire, and control his inner world to the extent that none of the negative characteristics are ever expressed in one's thoughts, in one's speech, or in one's action. This is, of course, similar to the work of a Benini. Whereas the Altareb explains, where, as the Altareb explains, the negative energy that dwells in the left side of the heart is active and even potentially dynamic, lusting after things that negate holiness. Yet daily, 
The Benini fights the battle of allowing the desires to become part of his thoughts, part of his speech, or part of his action. The difference between Rashi's two explanations can be understood in this spiritual work of man. Rashi first explains how in an orderly fashion when we entered the land of Israel, our work of conquering the seven nations began, and then the Yergoshi left the land on their own. As a result of the battles that were waged, the Yergoshi of their own volition, not wanting to do battle, left the land. This is how they were driven out. When the work is done to conquer and refine, realigning our six emotive attributes with God's will, the seventh, Malchus, the conduits of thought, speech, and action, two become purified. In the second verse, however, Rashi is no longer talking about the order of events when the nation of Israel entered the land of Israel, focusing on the battles at hand. Rather, the focus was on how they were to live in the land as per the instructions and warnings of the following verses, to remain distant from evil and impurity, how to align their thoughts, speech, and action with God's will, to do as God had commanded practically. In this situation, we cannot say that the Girgashi left on their own, because in the words of Rashi, there are six nations here, six active attributes, dynamically aligned with unholiness. But at the same time, the attribute of thought, speech, and action is removed from these. And so we cannot say that the Gergashi left on their own. The achievement of Malchus, of the conduits of thought, speech, and action, aligning with divine will, controlling one's internal world, and not aligning them with the attributes for which they're in a direct state of contact, constant receivership, cannot happen on its own, even as it's independent of these misaligned emotive attributes. This requires the influence of the Chachma, the spark of one's own soul that radiates to the body to empower it, to align only with divine will and not to stumble into the impurity of the left side of the heart and its misalignment. That aspect of misalignment is still dynamic. The six other nations are here. Thus, verse 11 in chapter 34 begins with the words, Shmor lecha, guard yourself. Guard yourself not to stumble into the realm of misaligned emotion with your thought, speech, and action. Guard them to remain aligned with focus on their purpose, how to live in the land. This guardianship over our thought, speech, and action now, now in a time of exile, prepares us to ultimately merit the conquering of all ten nations that lived in the land that God promised to Abraham, including the lands of the Cani, the Knizi, and the Kadmani, representing Keter, Chachma, and Bina, our cognitive attributes and the attribute of higher will. A full and complete land of Israel, when God will extend our borders, may it be soon, Mamash, with Mashiach Tzidkenu.